Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The Buzz this week? After 18 years, it's the final season for the Aztecs, Pima Community College's football team. We talk with Lee Lambert, PCC's chancellor, about the budget challenges that ended the program and how those cuts affect other college programs. We also talk with Aztec head football coach Jim Monaco about what it's like to coach the final season. If it is the end, this is the last time Pima College will field a football team, so why not go out and make history? And as election day draws near, candidates are making their pitches to voters. This week, AZPM co-hosted a debate between the Democratic and Republican candidates for governor. We sit down with AZPM's Lorraine Rivera to recap the debate and do a little fact-checking of the candidates' claims. Budget realities have forced some tough decisions at Pima Community College this year. I sat down with Chancellor Lee Lambert to ask how those changes are reshaping athletics and other programs. He explains what led to the cuts. As the economy began to improve from the Great Recession, a lot of colleges across the country started to see their enrollments start to slide. So as the enrollments started to slide, uh, it started to have a downward pressure on the institution, especially in a state like Arizona. You know, as you're probably aware, Pima does not receive state aid, one of only two community colleges to be in that position, as well as we have a expenditure limit law that it doesn't limit the revenue coming in as much as how much you can expense against the revenue coming in. That's how we got to this point. Let's talk a little bit about that expenditure limitation law. For a lot of people, this may be the first time they're hearing it, and it is complicated. Can you explain it a little more and really how that all plays into Pima's budget? So in 1980, we have to go back that far, the voters decided to pass what they call an expenditure limit law that really limit public entities who collect local property taxes or, or revenues from taxpayers to put a limit on that depending on what type of institution you are. So in the case of Pima Community College or the community colleges in general, that is based against your enrollment numbers. Where does funding for football and athletics at Pima come from? People think, oh, the University of Arizona, which brags about not a lot of public dollars go in. It's all private funding and boosters. So where does the money for Pima's athletics come in? So the basis for athletics in general is that they would be self-supporting. What that means is you're not going to use taxpayer dollars to underwrite or support your athletics programs. So how do you generate the revenue? Well, in the case of Pima, you start to create a fee structure where students themselves will become the source to fund programs like football. But then what happens when student fees aren't enough to support football specifically, but athletics in general? Football received the headlines that it was getting cut, but it wasn't the only program. Who else was getting hit? And were academic programs getting hit also, or is this just non-academic programs? What we did was we had forecasted out, based on how our enrollments were looking out, what we would need to size the college's budget to keep consistent with the expenditure law. That would mean we would reduce our operating expenses by about $15 million. So yes, both academic and non-academic programs. So everything had to be looked at. For the programs that got cut, and again, football is the headline, but there were a number of others. Are these just hiatus or is that it for those programs? When you start talking athletics, what we also did as part of this work was we did some benchmarking. 
what I mean by that is we looked at other colleges about similar size as Pima and said, how many athletic programs do they have? And what we found that we had about 16 programs. And for a college our size, that's a little bit on the upper limit of what your budget and student body might be able to support. And so we realized we're going to have to scale back. Based on the student fee revenue, we would generate about $1.9 million, if you will, for athletics, all of athletics. What was happening was the college was then kicking in close to a, another 800000 maybe a million dollars, to actually maintain the athletics department with all the collection of programs. So then when you go back and say, okay, if the goal was self-supporting, well, clearly we're not self-supporting, so now we're going to have to scale back uh, the size of our program. So that's one facet, right? But the other thing that happened, and we, I don't want to lose sight of this, is Maricopa made a decision to also in their football program. So then all of a sudden that shines a spotlight on one program versus others because you want to make sure you have a conference. It was going to lead to potentially greater cost because all of a sudden if you don't have four teams any longer in your conference, where are you going to make your games? Well, that means we're going to likely have to travel more, which then increases your expenses. And so, you know, we looked at those kinds of variables, but not just in the context of football, but in all of our athletic programs to see how can we sustain them. We're talking with Dr. Lee Lambert, the chancellor of Pima Community College. As the revenue stream changed, both with the recession, the loss of state funding, and all these things that came together, and you all began making these decisions, is there also more than just budget cuts, but maybe a redirection of the college as a whole? Probably within my, I think it was year two of my time here, I've been here a little over five years now, uh, we decided to bring in a consulting group to help us think about the future of the college by creating what we call an educational and facilities master plan. So coming out of that work was this great opportunities that if we could reposition the college to be more focused on meeting the needs of this community, not only from the university transfer side, what about if we could do a better job of meeting the needs of business and industry? So out of that came this notion of centers of excellence. So as that strategic effort started to take form and shape, and now we have this budget piece, how can we help power those efforts at the same time by meeting our obligations to the taxpayers of the state of Arizona and here in Pima County? Talking about repositioning the institution to serve the community, who's the typical student at Pima? See, that's what's exciting about community colleges, right? As an open access institution, there is no typical student because we serve all individuals who have an interest in coming to the college. So we might have someone who's 70 years old who decides to come back and they want to get their bachelor's degree. We also get that mid-career person who says, I, I want to change direction, so I'm going to come back and pursue one of your occupational programs. Or we get that person who's still in high school through dual enrollment. So there is no prototypical type of student at Pima Community College. So that's what makes us exciting, but it also comes with its challenges. Since one of the things you said caused the loss in funding was a loss of students as the economy changed, what's the long-term plan to recruit or attract more folks to walk through the multiple campus doors uh, of Pima? Like most colleges and universities, we have to rethink, some folks might call it our business model. The traditional model of students coming in right out of high school, taking classes from 8 o'clock in the morning till say, 1 or 2 o'clock, that's over. 
we have to think more expensively. And as I said earlier, because we don't really have a traditional type of student, actually presents even a greater opportunity for us. So we have created what we call Pima Online. Just over the last two years, an example, it has grown over 20%. While we've been struggling with enrollments in our face-to-face, -face, our Pima Online is growing. And thanks to that campus, our enrollments, they've been uh, kind of bumping along a little bit, three, four, five percent one way or the other, right? But if we didn't have Pima Online, our enrollment loss would be significantly higher than what you've seen over the last few years. Does online bring more revenue than traditional face-to-face -face classes? What it does is it creates more opportunities for students to have access to Pima Community College. And that helps not only from the tuition part of the revenue pie, and also helps with our expenditure limit. So I think that opens the door. But another uh, important thing not to lose sight of is we're opening up uh, new types of programming that we might not have otherwise thought of through our centers of excellence. So our recent Caterpillar announcement is an example of that, being able to serve the incumbent worker, someone who's already in the workplace who needs to keep their skills sharp. So that's going to, I think, in the long term help us to not only stabilize, but hopefully increase and improve enrollment over time. Circling back to athletics for a moment, a lot of people don't think of athletics at a community college. What does athletics as a whole bring to the community college experience and community? Student engagement. And student engagement goes well beyond just the classroom, whether it's being a member of a student club, participating in leadership programs, or participating in an athletics program. It actually rounds out their academic experience. So athletics is important to that. But it also attracts a student who might not otherwise come to the college, right? So let's say you were a pretty good high school athlete, but you weren't good enough to come to the University of Arizona and continue your career at the university. Community College provides another opportunity for you, at least for two more years. So it's just, again, providing that opportunity of access. We've been talking a lot about budget cuts and what that means to Pima. You all recently purchased the Tucson Inn right next door to the downtown campus. Somebody is going to hear that or realize that and say, wait a minute, on one hand, they're cutting programs. On the other hand, they're buying real estate. How do those two square? With any organization, you have to be thinking about how you position yourself for the future. We have six campuses with other locations, but when we start talking about powering up a diesel training program, the latest machining program, the latest welding programs, you'll quickly see that our current facilities are inadequate to the task. Our role is that middle skills, if you will, that automotive technician, the aviation technician, the welder, carpenter, you just go down the line, right? But you got to have the right environment for that to happen. So in order for us to do a better job in these other areas, we're going to have to make investments into the right space. And so some of that investment we'll be able to leverage uh, immediately. Some of that investment will set the college up for future expansion and being able to attract businesses as well as support the expansion of existing businesses. Pima is critical to that ability for this community. That was Pima Community College Chancellor Lee Lambert. This week we're covering the final season of Pima Community College football. I asked head coach Jim Monaco if the lead-in to this season felt different than years past. I'd be a liar if I said it didn't feel different. We're trying to get a lot of stuff done. We also understand uh, that this year is so important. We've actually had to tone it back now to try and cut down on injuries because we're just beating up on each other. But everybody knows realistically we've kind of taken the mantra that it's either you know make history or be history. So we're working real hard and so are the guys. 
Tell me about the team. Everybody in town is familiar with UA. I'm not sure everybody is even aware that there is an Aztec football team. Tell me about the team. You know, we've been around Inception 2000. Uh, coach Scurran was the, the first head coach here and brought me on. But uh, this year's team is uh, is exceptional. We've done a great job recruiting. We've managed to bring in some kids from out of state that uh, were looking for an opportunity. And, you know, the beautiful thing about Pima is, is it's still less expensive for out-of-state students than it is at their own home state in a community college. But our team is great. We have 105 kids still out there working hard every day in the heat, going through uh, practice and weight training in the morning, 5.30 a.m. We're in the weight room. It's a great group of kids, and we have some incredibly talented young men. And for the last bunch of years, have placed numerous kids in Division One schools. And, and rather, I should say, they've placed themselves because they have to be coachable and they have to do the work. What do you guys hang your hat on? Your running team? Your passing team? Is it defense? Honestly, the last couple of years, it, defensively, we've really been able to step up. For the last two seasons, we've, whether it was in a good way, we've lost O-linemen because uh, two years ago, we lost our entire five starters in May to Division One schools. And, you know, we have... That's not a bad no, problem. No, it's a, it's a great problem as far as looking at it as a human being. As a football coach, you know, you can look at it as a dad and a man and say, this is wonderful. I mean, I looked watched Andrew Tovey last year start at center and guard for Kansas. And we lost him in May. But as a head coach, you want to, you know, slam your head in the door because it's just, you're not going to find those guys. And when you even find a good old lineman, he's young. And it's just an incredibly different world coming from high school football to this because many of the teams in our conference they field nothing but division one bounce backs so you're playing a team like western or snow and they've got guys that have either come back from their mission or they bounce back from texas and auburn and lsu when we beat arizona western two years ago to go to the conference championship their starting three were from lsu so the, these guys had never seen that no matter where they played high school ball i was going to ask where do you get guys from to come play ball at the community college level all over I, I think um I probably recruit different than a lot of guys I've been really fortunate and and we've been real successful the way we do it but when I recruit kids I tell them this isn't the 13th grade you know this isn't just well I love playing ball so I'm going to go out and play you know you have adult pop warner leagues for that these are kids that it's almost split in half you know half of our our guys are kids that might not have gotten all they wanted to out of high school ball. They didn't get the offers they wanted to. Maybe they believe there's a, a growth spurt coming. They're just not physically had matured. And then we have the other group of kids that, I mean, I've got five kids on our team right now that had offers from FCS schools and didn't want to take them and came to us because they believe they're better than that. And when I recruit those kids, I tell them, look, I can't promise you. I mean, you're a knee injury away from having nothing. But you know, that, that's just me. The old guy thing is the bird in the hand is, is better, you know. But we have a lot of kids that roll the dice on that because they just believe they can get to the next level, the, the Pac-12 schools, the, the SEC. And, you know, for a lot of those kids, it's come true. They've worked hard and, and they've done it. For another group, they've had to face some realization that maybe their football career is over. So it's a real, especially for Pima, it's a real hard mix right there and try to make all those kids feel valuable. We're talking with Pima Community College head football coach Jim Monaco. You talk about the kids who have gone on to the programs we all know. Is it a large percentage or is it a small percentage of the kids? Well, if you looked at the total team, I would say on average, we probably have 20 to 30% of our team every year 
leave to go to another university. And I, and I won't even consider anything below Division two while we're talking about that. So anything from D2 on up, and most of our kids at D2 level will end up at a Texas Commerce who are the national champions, a Pitt State in, in Kansas, a Northwest Missouri, um, schools like that. You, you know, and the funny thing is, is people think, well, they're not good enough. Well, that's not the case. A lot of it has to do with academics. And God gives everybody a, a, a strength. And some of us, including me, math isn't it. Algebra isn't it. Calculus isn't it. So when these kids get a chance to pass classes and get things done, our, our main objective is to graduate them. But it takes different levels of that to get to different school levels, as you know. So a lot of our D2 kids are Division One athletes who just may have not had the academic standing to do what they need to do. And they choose to leave to go on and play. And most of those scholarships are full, just like Division One. Before we come back to the academics part of it, any names we know, uh, big names uh, that have come through your program uh, that are now either playing Division One, Division Two, or maybe in the NFL even? Sure. You know, uh, back in our earlier days, uh, Mickey Pimentel went on to Cal and played with the Falcons and the Chiefs. You know, we've had some guys like uh, Zach Baker who went on to play at East Carolina, another Tucson kid, and got drafted by the Steelers. In recent years, we've had Markel Simmons from Tucson. He's a starting safety at TCU. Brian Pirtle is now starting outside linebacker at Utah. Jordan Agasiva, who I will tell you will probably, and I don't say this easily, will probably at least get a cup of coffee in the league. We've had a lot of luck with that. And I think some coaches honestly start to believe that it's them. And it's not them. It's those young men that you recruit who are willing to work those hours and put in that time in the classroom and on the field to get to that next level. When it comes to academics, do most of the guys who play for you end up graduating uh, PCC and doing something with that degree, be it either professionally or moving on to a four-year school? Yes. You know, you have to be a better man than a coach. So you have to preach to these kids that football's going to end. You know, whether it ends because God says you're done or the doctor says you're done or your coach says you're done. But sooner or later, it's over and you've got to have that background. Uh, we've been very fortunate. We're probably graduating over 60% of our kids every year. And this past football season, we ended up with an 80% over 2.0. And I was very happy with that. However, a few people wrote in and said, geez, you're happy that 20% of your kids didn't have a, a, a C? No, but when I can look at 80% of a football team, I don't know if you find that in high school most places. So I was really proud of our kids, and actually 60% were over a 3-0. How do you motivate the team this year especially? Because this is a different year with the program ending. People still hope that there's hope out there that this is going to continue. And let me first say that absolutely blessed, and I know that, because we lost not one single person because that announcement came out, which means our coaches are out there building relationships with kids. So that's a huge motivation because these kids end up loving you and you know, and you love them back. So that's motivation because it's family. We've told these young men, look, we're going to place you. We're going to get you out of here. We're going to be a, have a great team this year, but this is your one opportunity to do something special. You know, if it is the end, this is the last time Pima College will field a football team. So why not go out and make history? And if it's not the end, you can be credited with saving it. So, you know, play like you got nothing left to play for because honestly, there may be a chance that you don't. What happens to the kids, the freshmen who've come in, they're on scholarship. If this is the last year, 
and this is how they're going to get to school. Not everybody can afford to, to pay for it. What happens to their scholarship? What happens to these guys? Okay. We, we've made arrangements that we will honor their scholarship if they wish to stay at Pima College for this year. But what the administration didn't really understand is, especially with football, you know, that's the carrot that you dangle in front of them to get their education. Most of our kids want to play ball still. So we've already told them, look, we're going to win, you're going to be great, and we're going to get schools that are going to want to take you, and we're going to release you right away so you can go because you're going to want to be there for spring. And that coach is going to want them there for spring. They're not going to want to stay here to just go to school. They've got to find a place to play. We're also talking to a lot of kids, and as we're finding out, and a lot of our players, you know, you've got some of those bubble players. And even though it's expensive, there are a lot of D3 schools, a lot of NAIA schools out there that, you know, your reality is, if you're not starting from me and you're not a star player here, chances are you're not going to be a star player down on Speedway either at the U of A or up at ASU or anywhere else in the Pac-12. So maybe you get intelligent enough to say, look, this is where my road's going to go and I might go to a smaller school, see what I can get academically, see what I can get athletically, put together a package and help these kids go. And that's what I intend to do like I do every year once this season's over because it's going to be my job to make sure my kids are taken care of. We've talked a lot about the kids and, and what happens to them at the end of the season, academically, athletically. What about you? More than likely, I haven't said anything else, so I'll tell you I'm, pro I'm done coaching. It's been a long time, 35 years doing it. I've put a lot into this program. I'm going to do a few more years either teaching or uh, maybe go into some AD stuff in high schools or maybe stay at Pima and work. I don't know. But as far as coaching, it's probably time to be a, a grandfather and a husband and a dad and, and spend more Saturdays at home than, uh, than traveling. The big question for a coach at the start of the year, what's the record going to be at the end of the year? You know what? Only God knows and he ain't telling. But I'll tell you right now, we're going out to stomp everybody we play. That was Pima Community College's head football coach, Jim Monaco. The Aztecs' first home game against Scottsdale Community College is this Saturday night at 7. The two leading candidates in Arizona's race for governor faced off twice this week in live debates. The second debate was held Tuesday night here in the AZPM studios and moderated by our own Lorraine Rivera. Lorraine joins me now for a little analysis and fact-checking of both candidates. Lorraine, you moderated the debate the other night. What were some of the big topics that the candidates talked about? Education, hands down, number one. But following close behind, of course, the economy, public safety. And when we talk about education, one of the pieces that came out, I think, that was new this week in our discussion was school safety. The candidates' very different opinions of that. Governor Ducey would like more law enforcement on campus in the form of school resource officers, whereas David Garcia would like to take it from a different approach with more counselors. As we know, in Arizona, there's a deficit, the ratio of school counselors to students in Arizona schools. Let's talk a little bit about public safety. The candidates had some, some differing opinions on how much coverage there is, especially on the border by the highway patrol. Let's start by listening to what the candidates said. The border sheriffs have made it clear that is 24-7 patrols. My opponent said that that would be a priority, and today our highways are still left unpatrolled for four hours because my opponent, Doug Ducey, has not provided the funding for 24-7 patrols as he said he would. 
I'm saying that we have law enforcement 24 hours a day in the state of Arizona, but with our border strike force and with our Arizona state troopers who, like I said, endorsed my campaign today for our stance on public safety, we have prioritized focusing on drug cartels, human trafficking, and child sex trafficking. So, Lorraine, who's right on that? Do we have highway patrol on the border 24-7 or not? Well, it depends who you ask, when you ask. Governor didn't quite address this, but we contacted the Department of Public Safety and a Captain Tony Mapp. He said that the governor has acknowledged this previously. There are areas of the highway that are not patrolled during certain hours, though he wouldn't actually say which hours we were referring to. As we know, there are sheriffs in Arizona, uh, namely Santa Cruz County and Yuma County, that have raised concerns about the number of staffed highway patrol on the highways during certain hours. Let's move on to the economy. Big topic, especially for Governor Ducey. He has put a lot of his campaign on the economy. Arizona is open for business. We've had 240,000 new private sector jobs come to the state of Arizona in the last three years. We've had 300 companies that have expanded or relocated here. The last time our unemployment rate was this low, people were renting their movies at Blockbuster. Arizona is growing, but so is the rest of the country, nearly every state. And compared to our Western neighbors, at the end of 2017, Arizona's job growth rate was behind every single one of our Western neighbors with the exception of New Mexico. Okay, Lorraine, again, kind of the same question. The governor throws out statistics like 240,000 new jobs since he's been governor, correct? That is correct. But again, you have to put things in context based on growth. Now we look at state numbers, we look at federal numbers, What David Garcia did was reference what's happening in the rest of the country, and it's true. Other places in the United States and the Southwest are growing. So there is some credit given to Governor Ducey. However, you've got to consider that 2008 happened. He came into office in 2014 when things were already on the uptick. When it comes to what the voters learned, two debates this week, did the voters learn anything new this week? It depends on how you're monitoring the media throughout the state. Governor Ducey has significantly more money, so you are seeing more commercials. You're hearing more of him on the radio. As far as headlines are concerned, I personally think these two debates really thrust both candidates into the spotlight this week. But leading up to Election Day, it remains to be seen. What are we going to see on the airwaves? What are we going to see on television, newspaper, and radio? All right, Lorraine, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Lorraine is the host of Arizona 360 on our sister station, PBS 6. And we will be back in a couple of weeks, uh, you and I, Lorraine, on debate duty with the second congressional district candidates. Sounds good. We'll see you then. You can watch the full debate on our website, azpm.org. And that's the buzz for this week. Tune in next week when we talk with the heads of the Tucson and University of Arizona Police Departments about local public safety. Remember, you can find all episodes of The Buzz online at azpm.org. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Zach Ziegler recorded our football interviews. AZPM News intern Ashley Freedy helped with fact-checking. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.